and welcome to I Spit on Your Grades. Uh, today we are deep diving into all things folk horror. Uh, tis me, Faye Ellis, joined as always by Masseur. Bonjour. And Christopher. Good Wrong language, wrong accent, but it's fine. Say I love you, but say in German, because life is all so short and terrifying and scary. Ich liebe du. That's I love you in German, right? I thought it was ich liebe dich. That's I love it, I think. That's I love dick. Anyway, hello everybody. Welcome to today's show. Um, I guess we'll just kick off as always. You guys been up to much? I said this like I don't know what Chris has been doing every single week. Of course I know what he's been doing. Mercer, what have you been up to? Ooh. Oh, what have I not been up to? Um, <laughs> I've not been up to anything. <laughs> I've not been up to anything. I um, I have, have I watched anything? Eurovision. I'm I'm a Eurovision boy, so I've been living my Eurovision life. Anyone who sees me on Twitter will have seen I've been living Eurovision life, and that's been my thing. And it's been tough fitting my films in with Eurovision. I I think you've tweeted more in the last twenty four hours than you have done for the entire year. Yes, because it's Eurovision, mm-hmm. and I'm and I got it last year, and I've got it this year, and I'm I'm happy about it, and um, I'm not at all a stereotype. <laughs> Is there an odds-on favourite to get down the bookies for Mercer? Are you going to shout out now? Because we're recording on the Saturday afternoon before Eurovision, so you're going to declare your winner now and see how you get on. So it's going to be either um, Switzerland or Iceland. I can tell you that much. I kind of want it to be Iceland, but I think it might be Switzerland. That's that's what I'm going with. Switzerland or Iceland? Woo-hoo! And if I'm wrong, take me down. That's not who I want to win. I want Portugal to win. Just saying. Just throwing that out there. The only thing I know of Eurovision is the video that I've seen all over TikTok of the guys who had a really catchy tune. I don't know whether it was an entry tune last year. Iceland, yes. That Iceland, right, okay. Yes, yeah, basically this year, gosh, I'm so Euro um, vision. <laughs> basically, everyone who should have entered last year with their songs is is doing it this year, but they've had to do a new song. So okay. they've all, all all the people who could have been in it um, all all got a chance again to do it because last year being cancelled, which is kind of nice of them, I guess. But yeah, new songs. Um, because they would have been played. I mean, some of them have been like massive hits, like that Iceland one were a massive hit everywhere. Yep, my life done. I, We've done nothing this week, as far as I can remember. No, very, very little in the way of films or TV this week for some reason, apart from our picks, obviously. We did go to an actual inside pub, which was nice. So that felt a bit normal. I mean... You could smell the BO straight away. And I remembered why I'd... That, that was one of the elements of going into places that I really don't miss, people smelling. But what can you do? Spray them. You have to attack people with a spray can as you wander around the pub. I'm not doing that. That's really intrusive. Anyway, do we have any feedback in relation to our genre this week? We do indeed. We put out on... I tweeted the other day asking for people to come at us with their favourite folk horror. 
And we've got quite a few responses this week, so clearly a genre everyone's got an opinion on. Anyone's opinion isn't mine is incorrect, but still, what are you going to do? We had at Quinn Bevan from Atta saying, was an Erementari based on the Bass folktale? Great movie with some awesome effects and twists. Knew nothing about it going in and was one of my films of that year. Played Fright Fest Glasgow the other year. Was absolutely brilliant. We had Gorehound at a zombie slew saying Wicker Man is always right up there, but fucking Ada, Kill List is a beaut. Is a beaut. Oh, we, do, we agree with you. Kill List, Kill List is a beaut. And Keith at BT underscore Crusher saying the ritual is a bit fab. You know what? You're quite right, Keith. Oh, the ritual is a bit fab. <laughs> and we also had Barry Delgano at Delgano Barry. So he said, it's a tough choice, as there's so many good ones. But I'll go, go with this. It's trippy as hell, and I have no idea what's going on. But it's stuck in my head like very few other films have. He's put the gift there. Can I'm sure they, without even looking up our Twitter account, can guess what that film is. Would that be Reece Shearsmith in A Field in England? It would be very much a Reece Shearsmith mm-hmm. in A film it, Field in England. And last couple of ones. So we've got Court Pride at Noel underscore Kelly saying, gosh, there's so many good ones. The Wicker Man of Midsummer are probably my favourites. True in the Corn and the Borderlands are up there. Wicker Man of Midsummer are indeed good ones. They really are. I, I've got to say, I'm, I'm not going to go into our picks, obviously, but I will say what we didn't pick. And I'm surprised that none of us picked Borderlands, especially you, Chris. I thought that would have been a cert for you because of how bad shit it is. <laughs> I can discuss the last... I can discuss the first 15 minutes and the last five when I woke up. <laughs> the rest of the film is an absolute mystery to me. I, I know a lot. I, there's, there's some people I know that have got a full-on hate for Borderlands. I don't understand it because I absolutely love it. And I'm surprised I didn't consider a field in England as well because that's terrifying in places. That is a really scary film in places. I'm not surprised you didn't consider a field in England. I knew... The second we pick the genre, I think everybody who knows you or who knows, even as has heard your name, knows what you've picked. There's no, I don't think there's any secret or doubt about what you've picked. I fangirl for it. I can't help it. I just, I love it too much. As four pages of notes whilst watching the film proved, because I've watched this film like countless times and I've still managed to find four pages worth of new stuff because it's fucking brilliant. But we'll get to that. We will, but thank you everyone for uh, weighing in with your choices. I think you'll be very, you'll be very happy with this episode. Hopefully, I hope you should be uh, looking forward to our choices. And I think we will start off with the audience choice this week because it is a classic. It is, let's face it, when you talk of folk horror, there's one name that immediately springs to mind, and that is. 1973's The Wicker Man. Not the Nicolas Cage remake, although I want to I will never get tired of seeing Nicolas Cage dressed as a bear punching a woman in the face. That's one of the all-time greatest cinema moments. Best gift ever. But no, it's the 1973 original from Robin Hardy that we're discussing here. Okay, so plot-wise, we're we're not gonna get 
delve into it right this second. Simply enough, we have Edward Woodward playing the Puritan police sergeant who arrives on a Scottish island village to investigate the miscase of a missing local girl that has been reported and meets great resistance while he's there in the course of his investigations. Simple. See? Easy. Break it down. The film, batshit. The actual plot, simple as you like. It, it's absolutely the... I mean, th th there are going to be films that came before it, but I think in terms of bringing horror folk in... Folk horror, sorry, into light, Wicker Man was the start of it. Wicker Man is the film that everybody... Like, all our picks reference it. There's no getting away from it. Message you have out to say. You just sat there quiet. I'm I'm taking it all in. Um, I'm very I'm I'm concerned about um, my mental state watching the Wicked Man. I'm not gonna lie. I just I've never been as confused in all my life watching a film I know and thinking to myself throughout it, what the fuck is going on? Um, and I just I feel like honestly. I feel like I was on drugs at some point in my life watching The Wicker Man because it felt on it. It felt like a brand new film. Did you feel that you had walked in at the end of it because they front they pre front load the credits with everyone who's worked on the film? That is. Can I just? I just need to tell you about the credit sequence. Uh, this is like so. The credit sequence come on, and we've got like a series of like I think there's like three different songs that play. Um, and all that was going through my head was, do you remember back in the day when you'd stay up really late and there'd be the adverts on for like a really weird compilation album? It was like, like I've wrote it down, I've got it down as like uh, music for pilots. And this really just, I just felt like it were a really weird advert for a music for pilots compilation album. <laughs> I was just like, what is going on? At the low, low price of £14,000. You could hear Edward Woodward listen to such classics as My Engine's Not Working, Where's My Petrol Gone? <laughs> but it, it, it was it's such a weird start to a film. Like, it, it, it's, it's like it's instantly trying to, like, disorientate you with, like, just, like, like, like the music change. I think it's, it's, it's got that juxtaposition at the start, though, hasn't it? Because it's got that classic religious church him style and then it goes to the folk so immediately you got that religion on one side folk music's on the other so you know that's what we're going into this is what it's being pitched as mm. and that scene obviously is there to just set up the fact that uh howie uh, sergeant howie is a very religious man i'm not gonna lie i do not remember that scene at all and i again, don't either no yeah I've seen it so many times, and I'm just like, what is this? I don't, like, what, like, have I seen The Wicker Man? That's all I kept asking myself. I think it's because when you get, like, references to The Wicker Man, when, like, people are posting in groups and whatnot, and you get the pictures of it, and you get the tellings of it, it's always focused on Christopher Lee and how Christopher Lee is during the, um, the festival at the end. So I think you've constantly got that imagery in your mind. So when you go back and watch it, anything that comes before it, you're like, well, what that and Brick, e Brick Eklund dancing naked, obviously. But why am I saying obviously? Not obvious to some, but you know. Because you've got that in your mind, I think when you go back and watch it, you don't tend to recognise these parts that are actually 
integral to the course of the film, especially if you're watching it when you're younger as well. There's bits that you won't pick up on. We've said this before. It's like watching Exorcist when you're younger and not getting the whole religious connotation of it. And then you go back and as, as an adult and you see that it's actually quite important to what's going on. I mean, I, I think the reason why I was actually really confused is because the last time I watched The Wicker Man was after a sleepy queue at Fright Fest. Do you remember we had a sleepy queue and then we had a film the following day? Um, no. Yeah, I think, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was like a sleepy queue film after sleepy queue. Exactly, you don't remember because I think I must have fallen asleep and woke up just at certain parts. We'd have been awake like about 24 hours or something, oh, so we absolutely would have fell asleep. We were at a sleepy queue after a sleepy queue. Um, and I think, I think it might have even been a double, we don't look now. Or am oh. I like... Or am I making this up? I don't remember like, it myself. But... I'm, I'm, maybe I'm going completely crazy. And, and it's just like the Wicker Man. Just there. Just like, yeah, we saw Don't Look Now. And the Wicker Man. Then they gave me a pony. And I went skydiving. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Um, just um, with the, the Wicker Man. Um, obviously, because that's the film that we're talking about right now. <laughs> That's the most stupid sentence I've ever said in my life. Um, what I meant were, just going back to Britt Eklund, um, again, things that you don't even realise in life, it's like, I just read, I, oh, I was today or yesterday years old when I learned that Britt Eklund was dubbed. Yeah, dubbed and body double during the dancing scene as well. And I literally said, so what purpose is she serving other than looking pretty? Because I'm sure you could have got a pretty person who had a Scottish accent to do the same job. So the body double for her apparently is, do you know the scene where there's that woman sat on a grave crying? Yeah. That's that's the body double for Britt Eklund. Oh, okay. So she's like, she's in the film anyway. <laughs> like, why don't we just use her? I also but found out that the uh, guy who runs the tavern is also in Velvet Goldmine. And I was like, oh, mm, check it out. He freaked me the fuck out more than anything in that film do you know that do you know when they're singing the 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 landlord's daughter yeah like he's just in the background and he's got this like the creepiest um perverted smile on his face i just put me about does he remind you of the child catcher is that why because i think he looks a lot like the child catcher from chitty chitty yeah, yeah sorry that was a street jeff <laughs> yes and the reason i didn't want to say it is because i've used that reference before in a, in another episode with Sweeney Todd and Timothy Spall or whatever his name is. I'm like, tried, oh, he's like the tried and tested scare tactic. That's what it is. Anyway, I think Britt Eklund, like you said there, what is the point in her actually being in the movie if all she does is she's literally just a visual uh, and she obviously delivered the lines because she's dubbed. And she does like when you watch the dubbing, she does speak the lines. It's not like it's not like in olden days where she was speaking in, in Swedish. Yeah. And then we did it with a Scottish, Scottish, that's my Scottish accent. It's not very good. Uh, Scottish. Um, but yeah, it, like I, I did think to myself, why did you know just a random fact, just throwing it in there, that apparently good old Rod Stewart, we know Rod Stewart. We do. Yeah was dating Britt Eklund at the time. And when he found out she had a breast out in film, he tried to get the film, like, stop the film from being released. Fucking hell, Rod. 
She's an actress, Rod. Like, that's what she does. You wear tight trousers and thrust your groin at people. Like, nobody wants to see that, but we have to because you insist on it. You know how you were saying earlier in regards to how you were watching the film and you didn't you didn't think you'd watched it before because you were missing stuff? I, I can't believe the amount of shit I missed in this film. Like, the symbolism, obviously, is prominent throughout, you know, like, with your circles and your triangles and your hairs. I didn't realise how many hairs were involved in it and obviously if you know if you connect it to inside number nine I guess that's why inside number nine has a hair in it um but like the stuff they've got <laughs> the stuff they've got on the counter at the pharmacy like pickled dicks <laughs> jar of no. foreskins jar of jar. foreskins be fair the cakes in that bakery are fucking mental I'd still eat from there they're like def- they're like deformed kids in the shape of cakes but let's face it, the whole town is clearly a little bit off. As soon as Edward Woodward gets there and he's in the pl- and he's in the plane and he's like, oh, okay, send a dinghy, dinghy ashore for me. What and in no way does it look suspicious when they go, no, we're just gonna form a massive huddle first. Let's just see what's going on. No, just just send a dinghy. Fine. <laughs> just send it. It would have been a lot easier than, oh, this is private property, you know. Like in a Scottish accent, right? It's the huddle before it. It's like, no, no, we're not talking about you. We're just, uh, just talking about something else. Head back down. The whole kind of concept of the film was bizarre with the whole, um, and I know that, like, when you think of the ending of the film versus the way that the village, I'm going to call them villagers, but islanders, villagers, Right. So, like at the very start, it's like, oh no, we've never seen this girl before. And then it's like, uh, and even the mother's like, no, no, she doesn't exist. And then it's like, well, she did exist, but now she's dead. And it's like, so why didn't you say that? Like, knowing what the ending of the film is, where it is a trick. The, the, my- reason, the reason being, they have to do that to make him stay of his own free will. So, that, that's the only reason they're doing that. Yes. As, as I was speaking, that dawned on me, and I right. realised how stupid I sounded. No, yeah. no, not at all, not at all. <laughs> yes, thank you for pointing out my my flaws and my stupidity. Um, talking about them cakes, how you said they will look like um, abnormalities with children, um, and being on PC there, but um, the children around the maypole they looked, I, I don't understand what they were doing. They looked like possessed, but they were so bad. <laughs> you know, like the boys around the maypole, I was like, this is just like, it's awkward. It's well, awkward watching. It's weird you said that because I mentioned to Chris, like at the beginning of the film, especially when Howie turns up, I love how natural the villagers are. Like the guys who stood around talking, they just seem so natural in the role. And like Chris was saying, maybe back in the day, some of them were just actual locals that they were using. As extras, maybe, but I really liked feel of the acting in it. To be honest with you, I'm. I wonder with the kids whether it's whether it did come natural to them to do the maypole stuff because it's not a hugely widespread thing to do. I mean, not now, especially not even then, and even when we grew up in the eighties and did stuff like that. I don't think it's that widespread. And the fact they're singing, they're having to walk around. Singing essentially, dick, 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 dick. <laughs> <laughs> so I imagine they, they probably did feel slightly uncomfortable and out of place doing that 
scene. So I'm not surprised if it does look a little bit awkward. The the one thing that I mean, I said there are a lot of things I've picked up on this watch, but the one thing I really did enjoy about this watch of the Wicker Man was the um the confrontation between the two religions, ideologies, whatever you want to call them, in the fact that he is so devoutly Christian, he is angry that they've torn down the church and it's just in ruins. It's it's not his idea, but then you know you've got the residents of Summer Isle who are like, well, this is our religion, and it butts heads, and it's it's still something that's relevant today. I really like um, when we get to the Eklund dancing scene and we've got her through the wall. First of all, the start of that when she's banging on the wall to the song, I think is fucking incredible. I don't know what it is about that, but I'm like, I fucking love this. Fucking rude. If I'm stopping at a hotel and someone's banging on the wall, I'm telling them to shut up. Because she's trying to beckon him, isn't she? It's like, okay, she's yeah, like, I mean, I'm, I'm making a joke. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I don't find your jokes funny, Fair. This is a serious matter. Um, but that I, I love that part, and I love the whole dancing, but what I love more is that turmoil that we get from Howard or Edward Woodward. I love his name as well. Um, but that turmoil, when he's pressed against the wall and it's just so... He wants to go, but his religion and his beliefs and his, his commitment to his fiance is like stopping him and that wall the the actual physical barrier of the wall like kind of representing that barrier of faith mm. between him crossing over um i really love that scene and i just yeah. love how edward woodward does that scene as well it, it's really he looks desperate and tortured and tormented and i love it so good he's so good in this film I, I feel like the villagers kind of i keep saying villagers the residents i feel like they get off on that as well it's like they obviously know what this is leading to. They've got an idea of where they want him to go and seeing him in this turmoil, seeing him struggling and obviously being confused by what they tell you because they're in on the secret. I feel like they kind of get off on that a bit. Yes. I had a, um, a one small issue I had. It was I got a little confused with the timeline because on the first night he stops there, um, Christopher Lee brings that young boy to sleep with willow Mm -hmm. and they have a conversation so he says tomorrow we'll do the real sac a a bigger sacrifice and she says oh that will be the 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 death and the rebirth but then he stays another night and it's not tomorrow it's like two days later and it really threw me because i almost feel like maybe they've cut a scene in that should have come after. I don't know. I just got a little confused by that timeline. I'm like, is it? Not sure. Have you have you never been at work and gone, oh, thank God, tomorrow's Friday. And then go, oh, no, it's Thursday. <laughs> Happens to all of us. Easy to do. He's a calendar. Better calendar is what he needs. You are right. It could be something as simple as that. But that did throw me a bit. Because I just got a little confused by the timeline. Moving on to like the, the imagery of the film, because all... The pics that we've had, well, I mean, apart from maybe Chris's, um, but two of the pics we've had, sorry, two of the pics we've had, they all depict these beautiful, blooming, colourful flowers, and it looks so vivid and gorgeous, but this, because of the darkness that's underneath it, it makes it really uncomfortable, and I think Wickerman does that in really good style. Like, the masks they wear are supposed to be full of joy, 
but they're terrifying, especially the fish mask. Imagine being the fucker that has to wear the fish mask. I'd be like, no, I'm not putting that on my face. Sorry, Sorry no thanks. The, not the fish mask, the salmon of knowledge. The <laughs> salmon of knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking love the salmon of knowledge. There's loads. There's loads of those in there, or the graves, or the gravestone where it says the woman's project, protected by the ejaculation of serpents. Ew. That is bizarre. <laughs> it is that. Like to be honest, like I said, I, I'll repeat myself. Throughout this film, I was just going, "Eh, what? What the? Eh?" So the whole I do again. I didn't remember how many songs were in this film. I'm like, oh my god, another another musical piece. This is bizarre. Which, just by the way, I loved them all. Um, mm. It just kind of threw me. Like my memory of this film is obviously a memory I've created, and not a real memory. Um, but like the whole when he like right at the beginning when he's walking through and there's all them people just having sex in a field, and you're just like, what? It's just normal to the minute. It's just it's just their ways. It just felt so like I was just so lost. Now, and I know he, bizarrely enough, he's not actually in it for a lot of the film, but Christopher Lee, oh my God, he's living his best life in this film, isn't he? Christopher Lee in that film is mental in the best possible way, mental, as in his performance is so out there and kind of against like type or what I imagine for Christopher Lee. But this is the thing, is is his performance any more way out there than Howie's is? Because the whole basis of his performance is what he believes in and his religion and how they're doing this for, you know, the crops and to bring the food in and stuff like that, where it's no different to what Howie's doing, praying to a God, going to church. So I think that you could, you could argue that Howie is just as crazy as he is. Yeah, it's not like it's not like Christopher Lee goes full panto playing somewhere else. I don't He's... know that the May Day Parade, definitely. Yeah, but that's that as a festival is on its own is very colourful and bright and that kind of thing. But when he's, we have the scenes with him when he's talking to Howie and when he has it in in his home, it's he's no more over the top than anyone else in this film. You go, yeah, I don't, I. For me, I don't think he's going ridiculously over the top and not selling the performance. I think he's going over the top, but I do think he's selling the performance. I think it is in line with character. Um, there is a scene that I absolutely love when he is talking to Howard in his house and he does the power pose and he stood for ages with his hands on his hips, like looking into the distance, talking. I'm like, that is just incredible. Like, I would be in awe if I was Howard. So because we've got three of the films to fit in, just, you know, trying to push on towards end of this one. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I, as I touched upon earlier, I think one of the scariest things about Wicker Man is the fact that even to the end, they're both justified in what they're saying. And it just becomes like a screaming match over each other when Howie gets taken off to the Wicker Man and he's burning and he's screaming, he's screaming to God and they're still screaming to the earth. <laughs> and it's just like this horrible, horrible noise over each other. It's, I think it's quite scary. I really like, um, obviously, before he gets burned, I really like the way Howie 
pleads with the community and not asking why they're doing it, but asking them to think about what they're doing and how they've got to live with that decision that they make. Because I don't know, there's something about that that seems a lot, it just feels a lot more real. It's reasoning. It's trying to reason with them and say, you know, you can believe this all you want, but your crop's failed. And if they do the same next year, are you going to sacrifice him? Where does it end? If you're going to kill me, where does it stop? It's weird with that rationalisation, that argument, because that's the very argument that people would make against religion in general. So if if anyone with any religious belief was to argue with someone who was an atheist, that would be their line of argument. They be they go for that rationalization. Could you also maybe say it's a police tactic? I think his rationale is 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 very much trying to is using his everything he's got, basically. Like his training from being a policeman and his his religious beliefs and and his his ability to be able to speak to a crowd um and try and get them on his side. There, I think what is interesting when we talk about religion in this film particular is a lot of the things he kind of rebuffs from them, from their beliefs, are things that exist in his own religion. So like the like the the, the naked women who aren't really naked, FYI, trying to be impregnated by a god rather than a person by doing that ritual. And he's like, that's ridiculous. And then it's like, well, but what happened to Mera, basically? Like, your religion says the same. So why is it sort of hard for you to believe? Um, and I think that's good, because it, it, I think that makes him have to really reason and rationale within himself mm. as to, like, what's really happening and going on. So I think it's quite... I think the concept is really good. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, like, like I say, the the power struggle the not power struggle but the you know the 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 want to get your point across and the want to make out that your religion is right is so fascinating because you you know that these people shouldn't be doing these things they shouldn't be murdering people regardless of i mean religion in some parts of the world they do commit murder for their religion which is terrifying it's absolutely terrifying as it is here because it shouldn't be happening. But you can also, from their point of view, see the point that they're trying to make. Because he's doing the exact same thing. He's just not murdering anybody. Something we have skipped over as well, by the way, just quickly. In the lead up to the uh, May Day Parade, did you not think that bread looked fucking delicious? Because honestly, I would have smashed a summer aisle loaf. <laughs> I'm carb free, so no, but no. you know. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. It's like you could get some egg on toast, just go and get one for that bare breasted woman. She's got an egg in her other hand. Oh, sorry, that was a bit of a detour. Carry on as you were. I don't I don't even really know what else there is to say about the Kamala other than it it really is a classic. Um and I think it really does play with I mean it's like in the seventies, in it, so probably like a time of like we've just come out of like free love I think haven't we and we're the hippie kind of style and I think that I, I think I think it might be very heavily influenced by like trippy druggy kind of 
as we learned from seeing Robin at Fright, it was Robin we saw at Fright Fest, wasn't it? When he got yeah. on stage with those beautiful women, he does he does like a scantily clad woman. So, and as you say, Mercer, let's face it, with the seventies, it was very much a trippy acid LSD kind of time. You have to look at the music that was being pumped out around this time to see what they were being influenced by. So yeah, you can clearly see it as fitting into that mould. I don't think if it is dated, though, that's the thing. You could take any of our picks and they would be just as fitting with Wickerman as they would... I mean, my pick, between my pick and Wickerman, I think they absolutely they don't feel either timeless. Yeah, I wouldn't say it was dated. I, 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 I do think there's a... There's a 70s influence mm. in it. The, at the time is very heavily influenced with it, in my opinion. I don't know if yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah. I, do, I do feel like influence is in there, but it doesn't make the film dated. It just makes it a product of its time, but it's not dated to its time, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, way, that makes sense. Something I did find interesting about it is um, before it was released and it got reviewed, the actual marketing people behind the production company wanted them to change the ending Um, and they actually wanted um, an unexpected rain storm to come and put the fire out so that Edward Woodward didn't die and uh, Robin Hardy and and the scriptwriter were like nah nah we're not going to do that if they had done that that maybe would have backed up how his religion and how he felt that he would be saved by God it would have been a really good ending because you could have had that again as you say you could have had that countenance whereas is it just the way the island is and the fact they get a lot of rain up in the Hebrides or is it the fact that God has some came along and put out the fire that was going to kill Howie so yeah I think it would have been an interesting way of doing things mm. there's obviously no audience here to sum up why you should vote the Wicker Man but I don't think we really need to tell you why you should be voting for the Wicker Man if you're going to do it you're going to do it you know it's it's an amazing film. It's a classic. Brilliant performances. Beautifully filmed. But we come on if you want. Okay, so moving on to my pick. Um, it's a little darker, I think, than we come on. But obviously within the same team, seeing as it's folk. I've gone for um, 2011's Ben Wheatley, written and directed or co-written and directed, Kill List. Now, basically, if you've not seen Kill List, get Kill List watched. But the kind of concept behind Kill List is we've got um, Jay and Gal who used to work together um, doing jobs, we'll call it. They had a bit of an issue in one of the jobs, um, which kind of resulted in them stopping working. Um, But a new job's come up and... Jay's kind of been pushed into taking this job um, and by his wife and his friend Gal. Um, and it's obviously to kill some people. That's what they do with the hitmen, basically. Um, and the film just, it, it just takes a turn. It's a turn for the unexpected. It is um, it is another what the fuck moment within the film. You get a few of them, but like... Towards the end, you literally go, what the fuck? Um, I think the reason for me why I've picked Kill List as part of my film is, first of all, 
it's shot in an area I grew up in. So it's very close to my heart. And currently <laughs> live and live in Sheffield. <laughs> well, it's in Sheffield, but it's from Gleadless Valley. So a lot of the scenes are shot in Gleadless Valley where I was a child growing up. Um, so it's it's kind of got that like, oh, look, I'm from there. Um, but forget about that. The fact is we've got this fucking ridiculously talented cast who, while you're watching this film, all the way through, you 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 do genuinely forget that they're acting. Everything about them is so natural and real, in my opinion. And then you've got this ridiculously amazing script from uh, Ben Wheatley and his wife, Amy Jump, um, which, you know, it, it kind of like just punches you. You've got this crazy twist in the ending of the film, like a what the fuck moment, like a genuine what the fuck moment. And then you've got this like really bizarre ending and the lead up to it. We have this like ridiculous hitman storyline with some of the most like for a film that I imagine didn't have the biggest budget. It did not. And it being a British film, which I always think struggles when it comes to like effects for some reason. I just don't think we're as good. But it's got some of the most believable twisted effects in it. And some of the most I don't know, there's a lot of gasp from me when I watch this film just like audible gas of like <gasps> no way and if you've seen it the the hammer to the head moment is probably one of the most in my opinion one of the most shocking realistic looking <laughs> scenes i've seen in a long time and we saw this in a festival environment so you'd feel like um that adds to it but actually even taking it away and watching it on your own you get so drawn into the film itself that everything's like <gasps> with those scenes especially like the the ultra violent scenes in kill list it is the fact that it shows you something when it should be a cutaway you absolutely shouldn't see what's happening in that scene and you do and it's horrible i, I don't i don't tend to find the head smashing as disturbing as i do the knee i feel the knee every single time when he's waxing with the hammer. Oh, it's just horrible. The and I know this is your film, but I'm going to run with it as well because I love Kill List, obviously. But the beautiful thing about Kill List, I think it's out of all of our picks, it's the one that's most open to interpretation. It could go in several directions and they're all so good. Whichever way you go, it doesn't matter. There's so many, I think as well, it does a really good job of like setting up questions that it just doesn't answer mm. uh, and that could be really frustrating or so some people I do think might find that quite frustrating and then for others like me it just means I'm like I'm just like I'm so intrigued as to like what's really going on and I still don't fully understand. So I went online after watching this time and I've never I don't know why I've not thought to do this before because I I in my head left kill list exactly as it was and if there was something I didn't understand I didn't understand it and that's fine but I went online and I had a look at some fan theories and such and one of them was that the reason Jay is because I, I don't I, you didn't mention I don't think Jay is supposedly a chosen one by this group and Fiona who is dating Gal at the time turns up at their home during a dinner party and marks a triangle on the back of their mirror which and I'll look this up as well <laughs> you'll have to forgive me this is a this is a reading exercise here just one second 
So a triangle represents apparently manifestation, enlightenment, revelation, and a higher perspective. It's often used to mark the cycles of growth that lead to a higher state of being. Spiritually, it represents a path towards enlightenment or connection to an omnipresent being. Now, you could say that Jay is that person. They've chosen him specifically to move the cult. I'm going to call it a cult, right? Because that's basically what it is to me, to move the cult forward. So what they've done is they've sought him out from Kiev. So whatever happened in Kiev, which we will never, ever know about, was so bad that they sought him out and thought, this is the guy we need, but we need to mould him into what we need him to be. And that's why they send him on these missions. So when he strays from the list, when he gets to the librarian's distributor, they're like, you can't be doing that. You can't be letting your anger take over from you. You need to keep it in control and you can't get out of this job. So then he moves back onto the job of going to the MP, all leading up to the final scene where, and I'm not spoiling anything here because I'm assuming everyone's seen it, but when it leads up to the final scene where he is calm and he has moved away from the anger and they finally moulded him into what they need him to be. So does he... Obviously, it's a solid theory. So does he get sucked into the service of this cult by the fact he's so fucking miserable at the start of it? Miserable and money money troubles, basically. Mm. He is miserable and he has got money troubles. Um, I, so I'm just going to go on about the acting just for one second because I think the scenes between Neil uh, and Mayanna, I think, are some really believable strong scenes their relationship we get immediately from the like the get-go that their relationship is very toxic and that they've both got anger issues clearly got anger issues because she loses it and attacks him several times <laughs> during the course of the film um and it's also like something that I think a lot of people can relate to as a child listening like like listening to the parents arguing that's the kind of thing that they did like they'd scream and shout at each other and we've all been there and then they come in and go you all right love and you're like not really but (laughs) I guess I'll say yeah (laughs) because it's better than like you know the alternative and I, I just think they're so good together but then I'm also so thrown as to which character I empathise with and side with, because I feel like she is constantly pushing him. Um, so I feel like, you know, she's like, you haven't worked for eight months. You went shopping, you haven't done this. I'm like, well, you know, you can get a job too, right? But then I also feel like he's terrible to her. And rather than being like, you know, yeah, I hadn't worked for eight months. But like, there's like these moments, like when he goes, like my back hurts and she's like, there's not wrong with you. And you're like, cut him some slack. Like, you don't know what happened in Kim. Plus, she also, when Gal talks about the job, she's also very keen for him to go and work this job. Very keen. And that's where it maybe comes in that she knows about this the entire time. So initially, that's what I thought, but then I read some stuff and uh, both um, Ben and Amy said, no, she, she's not involved. In if, the, she, the if she isn't, what I would take away from that, like you said, they're, they're both toxic. It's a toxic relationship. And he, he could be putting himself off 
from going and doing another job because of what happened in Kiev, because he's just too scared to do it again. So he's using his back as an excuse. But yeah. you can see how she wants him to go forward and work for the family as well, because she's looking after the kid. She's looking after, oh, I forgot what the child's called, sorry. Child. Sam. Sam. So she's looking after Sam and she wants him to go off and work because he is terrible with money. He just fucking splashes it up the wall and it's evident right from the fucking opening scenes that he lives this life that's just possessions. He wants the he wants the good he wants the good house. He wants the jacuzzi. He wants the holidays. It goes off at her about not having a fucking gravy boat on a table because of how it looks. So, and he just goes shopping, like buys all this wine, doesn't buy necessities. He's just spunking it up the wall. And she's like, "You need to make this money so we can fucking go forward." I'm sorry. How many jacuzzis has she bought? She has bought, he has to go at her for it because she is constantly spending money on jacuzzis. She is a jacuzzi addict. <laughs> and to be fair, she's the one who's kicking up the fuss because the jacuzzi doesn't work. He's quite chill about it. She's the one who's like, we need this fixing. And also, he's the one who goes, but we've got £40,000. And she's like, it's gone. I've spent it. Well, then, okay, well, then fine. That's her wanting to go out and get more money for him. But it's toxic. That's the point. So, oh, yeah. And we're obviously toxic as well right now. But this, I think this is good, actually, because it does it, it does show how, how uh, we definitely perceive the relationship differently based on a, on a almost like on a gender point of view. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, no, I'm, interesting... not, I'm not defending her. I'm not I'm, at all. You know, she is just as bad as him. She demands as much from she demands so much from him, and I don't know if I'm reading too much into this. Um, but if you notice, when he's about the house and stuff like that, he's all kind of stressed. The only time he seems to really de-stress is when he goes into the garage, which is like the most mucky, unorganized place in the entire house. So it feels most comfortable when it's when it's not showy. So it's clear he's not happy doing those sorts of things. I think um, there's an in, like the dynamics in general are very interesting because in, within the house um, there's obvious like there's a scene where Michael Smiler or Gal says to him uh, you know you kind of need to put your pants on and be the man um, I mean who's in charge here and then she shouts him and he gets up and goes he's like well that's been painted and 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 Gal's the one who comes and he's like we've got a job let's do it and she's like do this job and it almost feels like he's being peer pressured into doing it. But the second he gets into Hitman mode, that dynamic completely changes and he does become the top of that chain. So Gal answers to him. He's the one who's like, I'm going to, I'll speak, I'll do the job, I'll do this, I'll do that. And it's like this sudden change in his character, which it, is like, oh. See, I think he becomes reckless. I think the minute he gets into that role, it's like all logic goes out of the window and Gal's like, you need to be doing it this way. You can't just be going and battering someone's head against yeah. the wall. It's like, yeah, well, I deserved it. Yeah, I don't think I've, I don't think Gal's subservient. I think he's just there to show the balance of the hothead of Jay against him. And oh my God, I've just got to say their dynamic is beautiful. I have never loved it. I mean, apart from Tragedy Girls, never really loved an on-screen friendship so much. They just fit each other perfectly and it's so organic and mwah, love that friendship. 
it's also a very toxic friendship. I wouldn't say well. it was. I wouldn't. I I think that Gal just wants the best for him. Fair. Jay smashes a porcelain cup on Gal's head. It doesn't seem like a normal friendship to me. <laughs> it's definitely quite toxic. You're not dealing with a normal friend, though, are you? You're dealing with a friend who's been through trauma, and Gal understands that. You're right. Really? Yeah. Okay. They're both portrayed as these alpha mentally men anyway. So, as I say, from back doing whatever in Kiev, the, the Gal going about shagging and leaving whoever, and... Jay obviously just going absolutely mental in his household. It's clear they're both this alpha male kind of character. So he's going to bubble over. So you'd expect that to happen to them. Hmm. I do think, again, uh, the, I think the dynamics and the characters are great, which is part of the reason why I picked this as my favourite. Um, I think as well, it's got some really interesting scenes for me. Like my, this is going to sound ridiculous, but my my favorite scene throughout the entire movie is when um, Jay looks out of his hotel window and Fiona's stood in the grass and she just waves at him in that like white dress or dressing night air, whatever she's wearing, and she just waves at him and he kind of like just like he knows how weird it is and he just waves back, and I'm just like I love this so much, like it just doesn't make sense. And again, I think this part is open for interpretation in that I thought maybe, and I, 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 I'm not massive on folklore. I, it's not something I've gone deep into, but I, I actually kind of want to after watching these films, to be honest. But you, I didn't know whether it was anything to do with the cutting of his hand because obviously he starts getting, when he goes to meet the client, you do what you assume is maybe a blood pact but he starts getting a rash on his body and it's, it starts getting a little bit weird. It could just be infected. But I thought, could it be that she's sort of intoxicating him some way with that cut? Like some sort of witchcraft element of it and she's making him see her to get him to where they need him to be. It could also be a product of, again, his trauma and he's just having random nightmares. It could, I don't know, she could be there watching over him, trying to steer him in the right direction. So open to interpretation. Yes. So, like, one of the things I thought is, like, is it real? Is he really seeing her? Because, pre like, I think earlier in the film, he has a conversation with Cheryl who says that Fiona's been around and that's really bizarre. Like, why yeah. would she do that? So, like, she's been, and she's been put in his mind. So there is, like, that kind of, is it real? Is it not real? But I just love, like, I just love the look of that scene. Just, I just think it looks incredible. Um, like I say, it's, it's bizarrely enough my favourite scene in the entire if, film. If you want to talk about adding to the weirdness as well, I always find it quite eerie. I mean, obviously, we know why when you know what happens at the end. But the way that the people he does go after on the list thank him for killing them. I find it so unsettling. <laughs> I don't know why they thank him. Because he's the chosen one and they know he's the chosen one. And it must be like a lot of folk horror where they're willing sacrifices. So they've done these things as set out to do so that everything falls into place. So they're only acting the way they are because they're there for him to kill. So they're willing sacrifices for him to do. Well, he does, and let's face it, 
he only goes as mental as he does because of what they've done. So they'll have been told at some point that he's coming for them. They won't tell him who it is or when it's going to be. So they're going to be surprised by it, sure. But like the priest, especially, he knows immediately why he's there. He's like, well, it's you, you know, thank, thank you. Boom, to that. Much like when Jeremy Beadle turned up, the people. <laughs> Jeremy Beadle was not going around on shooting sprees. <laughs> you won't know where, you won't know when, but somewhere. Wearing a fake beard and a cop outfit, Jeremy <laughs> Beadle will rock up. But yeah, so, no, so I, that's that's why they do it. Yeah, yeah, I do like that. I I find that quite disturbing as well. The thank yous, just bizarrely enough. Yeah. Um, especially in the when it when we get to the librarian, mm-hmm. and he's in the shit out of him, and he says thank you, and you're like, what? Well, it, it ramps it up at that point to where he turns around to him and he goes, "Don't know who you are, does it?" He's like, "What are you talking about?" He's like, "It's okay. I just want to say." Thank you. It's like, oh, it's so fucking weird. But something I noticed as well this time, when they do get to the MP and they've been chased through the tunnels by the cult, <laughs> as it is, they got, it seems so obvious now. It seems like they're going for Gal. They're not going for him because they want to keep him because he's the chosen one. But then when Gal gets gutted, spoiler alert, before he does a mercy killing on him, he thanks him. So you could go, well... Does Gal know? Is Galling on this? Because why would he thank him? I mean, I guess, uh, actually, I'm backtracking on myself. I guess he would have thanked him if he were, you know, willing to kill him just to put him out of his misery sort of thing. Yeah, as you say, you don't know what they've gone through in the past. Either. He could be thanking him just for being there in general. Yeah. If they're lifelong friends, it could be anything. But so I, don't, I, I don't infer from that that he's part of the cult as they yeah, are. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I, 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 I was I was just running wild. That's all it was. I think I think if he were, I don't think they'd have him gal slaughter the sheer volume of them that he does. No, no. Fair point. I do think as well it is good how they do intersperse other characters that are clearly part of the cult that highlight Jay's complete lack of knowledge of what he's involved in. Um, so the doctor scene where he's like, my hand is like, you're all right. He's like, you haven't even looked at my hand. And he's like, I'll give you some advice. And you're just like, oh, this is so bizarre. I think, again, that's what I love about it, just that bizarreness. And uh, even though, so like, like this, this is a film that like, is, it's great every time you watch it, but that first viewing, like that impact of that first viewing when the camping are and you suddenly see these people walking through woods, some naked, some not with torches. You're just like, what's going on? Like, you know, we've seen some symbolism, but you're a bit like, like, what is going on now? And then that whole hanging scene, and you're like, this is like, this does, this is like a different, it's like a from dusk till dawn moment almost. Like, this is a different movie, right? It's like you, it's like you forget the folk aspect of it while watching it because it's so focused on Hitman. And yeah, you know, these weird things are happening. But, I mean, the first time I watched it, I totally forgot that Fiona even put any sort of marking in their house. And I was like, oh, shit, yeah, she did, because it was so long ago, and I've totally forgot about it. Yeah, same. I The first time I saw it, you're right, that, that's something that you don't remember because it's just there. Even though it's quite a long scene, 
because she picks up the bloody cloth as well and takes that. Um, but yeah, that's interesting. But I do love that, yeah, that whole introduction to this mask hole and then them chase that chase through the the kind of dun- cellar dungeons. That's scary, that what- shit. Um, but that's really kind of that's really good. Um, and obviously building up to a climax of like what happens afterwards. And I love the fact that they come to the cottage, they know where the cottage is, they've they're part of his life. And they've been part of his life probably from Kiev because they have that file and they know everything about him. And this is where you could say that maybe Shell isn't involved in it if you're going for that theory because she's shooting at these guys trying to get into the cottage. Like, why would she be shooting at them if she wanted them to capture Jay? She'd surely be just letting them do it. Or she she might be putting on the front. I don't know. No, I think she's definitely wanting to protect herself and her son. And then... I think the ending of this film is pretty cool. Uh, the 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 hunchback fight scene. So this like proper this harps back as well to the beginning scenes. So there's that beginning scene when he's having a sword fight with Shell and the kid, um, and then he kills Shell mm-hmm. in, in in that. Um, and do you know like now it's so obvious that it's Shell. Like when you're yeah. watching this. Now it's but the first time you watched it, you were a bit like, "What the fuck?" Um, but I love. I think it's so good the way he, he like when he got sit on the floor and he starts brutally stabbing the hump, and he's proper just going, going for, it. for it. And you're like yeah. brutal. And then then we have the the reveal of it being Sam. So when you see that it is Sam and Shell that are attached to each other, and Shell falls to the floor before it cuts off, she laughs. And there's a lot of speculation about why she laughs. It could be that she's in on it. I always thought myself that it was the fact she got one up on him because in this relationship, it always seemed to be a bit more, because like he says to Sam at the beginning, well, she started it. It could be like, haha, but I won. You know, like, look what you've done now. You've messed your life up. But like you've just mentioned this time, for some reason, I thought maybe it's just that she's so delirious that she's harping back to that good time they were having where they were play fighting in the garden and she's laughing because she thinks this is all pretend. It's not real. Mm. Do you know what I did? And actually I'm taking that as what I was in, insinuating, but that's not what I really thought. <laughs> <laughs> I actually thought she was just laughing because of the sheer kind of ridiculousness of it. I know that sounds ridiculous. Herself, but the fact that she's just why none of the because she wasn't gagged he wasn't gagged but none of them said anything throughout that entire fight scene and they both were just defending themselves without actually looking at what they were really doing well that's mm-hmm. the thing that i think his instincts kick in if you as a as a soldier or whatever you're doing back in kiev and then you're drugged by this weird group of individuals and you wake up and someone stuck a knife in your hand and there's a knife in the hand of the person opposite you, I don't think you logic goes completely out the window at that point and you just revert straight back to your natural instinct, which is defend yourself, kill them. Yeah, kind of. And I think that, so for me, I think that's why she's laughing, the fact that, like, the reveal is like, fuck, what have we, what have we done? Like... We're in this position because of us. And I think it's just like a, an acceptance of what we've done. But bizarrely enough, um, like you said, the, the instinct 
to protect yourself comes through. But the second he stabs her, he takes off the mask and then uncovers her. You kind of like, like, why? But what I love more than anything, just after he's killed them, is he doesn't scream, he doesn't cry, he doesn't even like make any kind of guttural like what have I done? Now? He says he just stands there, and he's just blank. And they're they're all cheering and putting his crown on or whatever, and he's just like blank. And then bam, end. And you're just like, what the fuck? What the fuck? I love Killers love so much. What? It's ridiculous. Such a good film. You know what? It's upset me because I I had to actually open my my copy of Kill List, which has been sealed <laughs> since 2011 when I bought it. Um, sealed. I've been able to watch it on Prime or Netflix before, um, and I have watched it a few times, and it's gone. And I'm like, oh, no. Anyway, so unless you two have got out to set, um, I actually just think, like, Kill List is one of the... one of Take away, like, folk. It's just one of the greatest films that's been made in the last, like decade 20 years however long ago it would be and um it definitely deserves to win okay so my choice next then for best folk horror and i have gone for 2017's the ritual from david bruckner hold for applause again as usual you gotta stop holding for applause i'm I'm never gonna stop holding for applause I'm going to start doing it in the supermarket. I'm going to scan for my, pay for my food and just stand there. My people <laughs> applaud me. So, simple plot synopsis for this one. A, we have a group of, I say aging college friends. They're not old, but they are aging. And after a session out drinking, one of their parties is brutally slaughtered in the middle of a off-license. To mark his memory... They carry on with their proposed trip to Sweden hiking. And from there, things start to unravel with a strange, eerie presence stalking them throughout the woodland. The reason I love this film, it ticks all my boxes. It's got a beautiful group dynamic between them as they start to fall apart and argue and bicker and recriminations start to fall. It's got the classic scary, creepy forest folk background that all nightmares are made from. It's got a truly iconic beast chasing them. I say chasing, chasing the wrong word. Stalking them throughout the forest. And it's got genuinely terrifying set pieces and witchcraft and folklore and just sheer panic running through it as well. And an ending that for once one of my choices, a film where the ending doesn't fall apart in the last five minutes. I'd say that the ritual out of any of the picks has the most scare factor to it. It, it feels the most horror. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I completely get that. As you say, whereas Wicker Man is, as you say, slightly trippy and kind of scary in the fact that he's being sacrificed, but not jump scary and kill this while being really twisted and gratuitously violent doesn't have anything that makes just any jolt up. I mean, obviously, apart from the the, the massive spikes in violence in it, but there's no there's no general constant unease for it like there is in the ritual. And as I say, we're off we're off the scares straight from the start. 
just a simple home comfort. That's the thing. We don't need to go to Sweden to have things start going pear-shaped. We are straight in the off. In the first five minutes, we have their party being just cut down in the off license by some druggie. Could happen that absolutely terrifying. Could happen to absolutely any one of us on a night night out. So we are straight off to the scares, straight off to the races. It does make you question in that instance of what you'd do if you were in that scenario. Would you be the person who hides behind the shelves? Or would you be the person that stands up for your friend and tries to help? See, that's the thing. I gen- you look at that and, as you say, it puts you in that position of what would you do? To be honest with you, I'd probably be like Rafe Spall is. I would probably be frozen and standing there just in absolute error and not wanting to get hit in the face with a machete. It's funny that um, I, I literally, the very first thing I wrote down is about uh, Rafe Spall. What a, what a, I've actually put a, what a prick Rob is believing his friend like that. And then I'm like, actually, what would I do? Like, it's difficult calling it because everyone always says you should like stand up and protect, but then they also say, unless you might get killed. Um, and, you know, it's like, but I don't know. It, I'm sure it would all depend on who it is. Like I imagine, Faith, that if it were me, you'd be straight in there, like protecting me. I mean, look at what you did for me at Britney. Like you, you created a force field around me just to I watch did. a pop star. So I imagine you'd put your life at risk for me as well. Well, as you say, we're, as you say, we're Luke there, not defending. That's clearly how the rest of the group feel. Not even just one of them or two of them. It's clearly by the time we get to the end of this, how they all feel, and that recrimination, that tension, is running through the whole of their journey. Yes. Uh, it's very evident, especially from Dom. He does his meniscus in, tripping over. Yeah, especially from him, it is very evident. But I understand them as well. And that sounds, again, it's like, like, what would you do? If one of my best friends got murdered while another one of my friends or best friends were in with them and they did nothing to try and stop it, would I be able to look that person in the face and be like, it's cool, I understand why you did that? Or would I, like, eat them for it? for like it's so difficult then you might have been in a position where you had two best friends gone and not just one so you know no one can say what they do unless they're in that scenario and to be honest I didn't I, I never viewed it as Rave Spall being a horrible person because he didn't interject himself into that situation he was doing he was doing what anyone would do it was he was frightened true he was frightened but we also have to, so I, <laughs> this sounds terrible. I saw myself in Rafe's Fall many, many years ago being the one person out of all the friends going, why don't we get some more alcohol? Why don't, come with me. Don't leave me on my own. I want to drink more. And the only reason that they were in that situation is because he obviously had a bit of a problem. Um, so, you know, if they'd have just gone home like everyone else had or got off clubbing on his own, like I used to have to do, then <laughs> then he might have been all right. But yeah, so I don't think he was, a, yeah, not a terrible person, but he definitely created the situation. Okay. Yeah, but as you say, we can all we can all identify with that, whether it's you, Mercer, being that person, or that person in the group who is always, no, we'll get we'll get let's get one more beer, clean by the end time. It's like, come on, no, I don't want this, I don't want this time to end. I'm having, let's carry on. And it's clearly he's hanging on to what has gone before. He spends 
the opening bitching about how they nearly did the planning for the part planning for the trip over brunch rather than going out for a beer. Everyone has moved on firmly, apart from race four of this point, who's still hankering after those old days of being just a group of lads out on the piss. And that whole tension obviously carries itself over when we first, when we see that they've gone to where have they gone to Denmark, Sweden. Denmark, Sweden. Sweden. So when they've gone to Sweden to commemorate the friend, it, it it just feels unsettled right from the start. It it just feels awkward and you know just a, a sign of what's to come, basically. Well, that that scene where they where they put the candles and the photo of him on that little group of rocks. And even that's just awkward. what should be a really nice moment between the group remembering their friend turns into just this kind of awkward shuffling and silence around them with the flask that holds the most booze I have ever seen. <laughs> that is very awkward. I think um, that's, see, that's where you kind of first learn that we definitely know Dom is blaming um, Riff's character. Um, Luke, we definitely know at that point because he's like, this should it should never have happened. That's like the part where, like, I was like, this is awkwardness. This is really like, I'd hate to be one of them friends right now because we're probably all thinking it, but no one's going to say it. Mm. And then somebody's like, mm, shouldn't have happened. I mean, it shouldn't have happened, but say it, it in red. Yeah, <laughs> it could have happened. It could have happened to any of them. But mm. I don't like Dom that much. I think I think Dom's a bit of a prick, if I'm honest. He, he he's clearly not as hurt as he says he is throughout this film. He's very judgy with him. So he is hurt. You see the state of his need towards the end of the film. You, he you is do, hurt. but you don't believe him up to that point, though, do you? No one believes him. Nobody believes him. No, um, I don't like him, and I think he feels like the odd one out of the bunch. So he feels like, like. I get that they were friends from university, so, you know, you're kind of guessing they probably ended up in a dorm or, or a shared accommodation together, um, and they weren't friends to start with, and, like, that was, it almost feels like a forced friendship between them, and they carried it on. But he does feel like the kind of friend that as soon as you get to move out of them, you can drop them. Mm-hmm. Um, but he just, I don't know, he just doesn't seem to fit with the group for me. Yeah. Um, you're quite right. But... There you go. That's you get st- occasionally you get stuck with people on your podcast that you could not get rid of. <laughs> well, we didn't want to say out, Chris, but you know, yeah. even, even with everything going on between them, while I while I love all the creepiness and the bits and pieces that cause them to end up where they are and make every decision for them, they must have at some point noticed the massive red flags when when you're away. It's like they've never watched Blair Witch Project. It's they've never gone right. We'll just take this shortcut through the middle of the woods. I mean, they are just taking a shortcut. <laughs> you know, they've got a map and a compass. Like it makes sense to me. Right. So, so for, exa- for example, we're camping or we're going on a hike, and you know that there's a perfectly good route that goes around. Yeah, you've got your friend who says he's near, but you know it's a solid route. It's a tried and tested route. Do you go there or do you go, well, we're just going to head to them creepy looking woods over there that just seemed fucking swaddled in darkness. 
and we're just going to cut through there. That'll be fine. Then you get to a cabin and you go, well, we're going to just break into this cabin and just settle down in there. What's that? A creepy effigy in the top floor. Yeah, let's just go up and have a look at it. It's fine. Not to worry about here. I mean, to be fair, fair, every horror movie has to work in that kind of way where we make bad decisions and it's not real life. But if it was real life, fair, and we were injured, if I were injured and you said to me, right, we can take this 12 mile walk, which we know safe and good, or actually from this map and this compass, I can see we could do it in like six miles, take less time, but we just have to cut through them woods. I'm going to say to you, let's cut through woods then because I can't walk for 12 miles. And I legitimately would do that. Yeah, exactly. And to be fair, they only take shelter in the cabin because the weather's turned and it's absolutely belting it down. They do exactly what anyone would do in those circumstances. So while I jest about red flags coming up over everything they do, at least it's logical the things they actually do. I say... I won't stop Even, in that cabin. I would not stop in that cabin. No way. I'd set up my tent and I'd get rained on. I don't care. You can't laugh thing though. You can't set up a tent in an absolute gale that is coming down outside. So he's, he's right there with Hutch when he's just, no, you know what? We're going to have to just settle down here and just stay here, get a fire going, keep warm, and just we'll just push on in the morning. It's the, it's the bit where they will completely steadfastly want to not believe what's happened while they've been in the cabin that I say stretches it but then again if you're in a if you're in a really creepy woods with this shit happening would your immediate reaction be to go oh my god it's a witch or a curse or some weird armed monster running through the woods see I, I don't know if you remember years ago Chris when we lived at the flat and I uncovered a box in this little cubby hole we had by the bathroom and I was freaking out over it going oh my god this is going to be it, it turned out to be a box of tiles that's all it was but in my head this box was cursed and should not be disturbed and should not be touched so if I'm going into a place where I don't know and I'm finding you know a makeshift wicker man on the top floor yeah fuck it I'm off I'm gone that's it no question about it I actually, I find their actions um, a lot more believable than I do the actions of people in some of the other films that we've watched, um, to be honest. Um, so, um, bizarrely enough, this one's causing a bit of divide, isn't it? I feel like Faith has gone in with an immediate, like, I'm going to rip this to pieces. And I think you're wrong. I think, um, I think yes, you're right. The, the, the idea of, like, finding the effigy in the cottage and going, yeah, we'll still sleep here. You kind of like go, mm, I won't. But then again, I'm not going to go and start walking in the middle of the forest in the middle of the night in pissing down rain. So these four of us, I'd be like, well, we're all right. And then I think human nature just makes you try and rationalise anything anyway. So after their terrible, terrible night, can I just say, that entire scene is fucking incredible, by the way. The whole dream sequence and then the waking up and everyone going through their own different, like, thing is ridiculously good. It's the best part of the film. Um, and the film is good. Just throwing that out there. I'm not going to diss it. It is good. Um, but, yeah, I do think human nature goes, right, we need to rationalise what's happened. And it's just a dream. It's just a bad dream. Now... Oh, Lord, please don't let me be misunderstood. 
I love the ritual. Honestly, I adore it. It's a brilliant film. First time I watched it, ending kind of fell apart for me a bit and were a bit anticlimactic. But this time, totally makes sense. And I absolutely adore it. I was going to say, like you said, that the thing I'll, I do love about this particular part of the film is that they are having these dreams that are terrifying them so bad. And I would have loved to have seen like more in depth what the other people were dreaming as well. Yeah, I, I suppose they, they didn't want to muddy the waters too much. So you want to tell it from, it's really race sports story most of the way through. So you don't want to muddy the waters too much what everyone else has got going on. The transition exactly. from the storefront to the forest is absolutely amazing. Mm. Looks spectacular. So good. I hate, I hate that I have to say it. Visually, the whole film is stunning. Like even even though it's dark, you can still tell how deep and layered it is in its cinematography. It it just looks amazing. And oh, I mean, we will get to the creature, but the creature. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I mean, it's at this point after we get out out of the the woods or out of the uh, the creepy cabin there, the things start to unravel even more, and we start to lose lose a couple of the uh, characters. So we lose Hutch first as they find him hung up in one of the trees. Like we completely miss her, like the uh, the animal that was completely gutted and devoured and they find hanging in the trees earlier. Another big red flag. <laughs> there we go. There we go. So, we, so we lose him. And then shortly afterwards, we lose Phil as well. So it leaves us with our Formerly, the two really don't like each other that much. Luke and Dom as our last remaining two. And then, from the whole of this film, much like Coolness, we've had this film as this creature kind of feature where he's seen it through the shadows and it's clear there's a creature killing these people and what they found. But then we have a swerve to this little village, cult-like village, who are clearly worshipping and feeding this forest creature. Yeah. But before that, when we do get a taste of the creature, it does one of the best scenes in the film, just like in Signs, where you see the alien's leg just move from the side. It's like it's constantly hiding in the trees and you see it just moving a little bit and it's so creepy. Love it. The creature is really good. I kind of like its little um, head arms that it's got. So it's a body, isn't it? So it's kind of like a a giant horse with a human body on the front, but upside down. The body's yeah. upside down. Yeah, I think we're like a goat. Um, so I think. So in, have you read the book? No. Okay, so the book's really fucking good. FYI, um, better than the film. Just, just have to throw that out to you. The, the um, Luke's kind of survival escape is really intense in the book, uh, but also we, you know, we learn a bit, a bit more. So, like, you know, the old woman in the film, mm. in the book, she's got like goat feet, goat legs, goat feet. Um, so I believe it's like a goat, and that's kind of a, a not, like a, the symbol of like Wiccan kind of pagan rituals, and it tends to be a goat a lot. Like if you think of the devil, it's normally like. Mm featured um so i think it's meant to be a goat and it's got like the big antlers and then it's got like like you said like a human mm. 
aspect to it. It's so bizarre. I think it won some awards as well, the, the monster. So it is it's, a really good monster. Rightly so, so, yeah. The, the author, I imagine, when they, they must have been fucked up on something, when they uh, come out of a right fever dream, when they <laughs> woke up and wrote that down, that's the description for it. But again, when we get them in the cabin in here, though, we get the actual completion of Dom's character arc as well, because he now tied up helpless and in this barn completely now understands what Luke felt when he was in the store originally when Robert gets killed. So he's there, he's helpless, he's tied up. And he then, when he tells Luke to get away, he has that forgiveness moment when he's like, look, you've just got to, there's no, oh, well, you know what, you're probably asking for this <laughs> from what you did. He's there like, no, you know what, it's too late for me. I'm marked for death. You need to do everything you can to get away. And it's his forgiveness moment for him, therefore completing his character arc as well. And we lead into Luke's completion as well as he breaks out of the compound. Nice little gag with the misfire with the gun as he's trying to get it to work and it just goes just goes off and shoots one of the court members. But we then have him facing off one-on-one with his demon, with his, essentially, his mugger at the start of the film, where he's standing, where he's there with him. And this time, he will stand up and he will conquer this. And we have the moment where the monster actually knocks him down. And Luke's, Luke's there and he's on the floor. He goes to stand up and the monster actually presses back down on him, whether it's that kind of dominance moment from the creature, whether it's a case of they this court has been worshipping it, and it's a case of no, on your knees you will worship me. But from there, we have Luke smashing the uh, creature in the face with his big axe. I want to say axe type weapon. <laughs> Why did I make that so sexual in my head? <laughs> Smashing him with his big axe. When Race Ford whacks you in the face with his chopper, you know you've been whacked <laughs> in the face with a chopper. <laughs> Something I think um, there's a scene that I really like. I think it's again, I think it looks incredible. Like you know, like when we talk like cinematography of the film or visuals, whatever. I don't know what 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 term to use. But when Rafe's away from the cottage and the cottage is burning and the monster has got the lady in his hands, in his face hands, holding her against him. We've got this burning building behind and then the, the silhouette of the, the deep creature with the woman in its face hands dangling. I'm just like, that show is beautiful. It just really adds some to the film. It just gives it, I don't know, it just, it just makes you feel something. I like the, like one of the final scenes where he's running away from the creature and he gets out of what I'm assuming is a circle because it's got a boundary and it can't go past it. And I really like that it can't just run out and do it. It has to stay within its boundaries because that's the rules, I assume. But it's like him in like the for- like the, the field behind him, just an open space and then just the forest on this side. And it looks incredible. Gorgeous. No journey back. No explains at least how three of his friends have been slaughtered by a goat creature. No him having to pop round the Dom's Tom's wife and say, look, 
You won't believe what's happened. Don't see this on TripAdvisor. <laughs> but as I said, the character arc complete. We've had everything that we need to from Luke. So why would you plot it? That's it. Just cut there. Him standing alone. Alone but triumphant. Which is sad in a way. He's lost everything but gained at least his dignity back in a way at that last sh- shot. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, brilliant film. If I just sum it up in just a quick line to say why you should vote for it. Absolutely stunning looking film with a truly spectacular creature that's pure nightmare fuel. Hits all the absolute tropes of haunted houses and villages and courts while not feeling at all just a rip-off of earlier films and a terrific performance from all the cast with genuine feeling and animosity and a real relationship you can get behind. So that's why I feel you should vote for The Ritual. We arrive at my pick as the final pick. Now, I've learned from last time not to rush into these things with my heart before my head. So I'm going to try and make this as coherent as I possibly can. My pick for folk horror is obviously Midsummer. Y'all knew it was going to be that. Yeah, I see eyes rolling. I don't care. Midsummer isn't only my favourite folk horror. It's one of my favourite horrors of all time. And I know that's a bold statement given that it's only been out for a few years. But it just follows in the same path as Hereditary and Us and Get Out where there's something about it that just clicks with me. And I just feel the need to watch it over and over and over again. And until this watch, I thought I picked up pretty much anything that could be picked up on Midsummer, but absolutely not. I noticed more and more, four pages more, in fact, than I thought I knew. So if you're not aware, Midsummer is the story of Danny. Uh, Danny is, bless her, um, clearly struggling with anxiety and having to deal with for want of a better term, a cuntish boyfriend, because he absolutely is, uh, when she finds out that her sister has committed suicide and taken her folks along with her, she's um, basically hooked the entire house up to a pipe, up to a car pipe, and carbon monoxide has done its thing. It's a horrible way to die, and Danny is trying to get over it, but obviously he's not going to because the grief is going to be so bad. And she finds out that Christian is planning on taking a trip to Sweden uh, because one of his friends, Josh, is doing a thesis there about this community that deals in old spiritual practices. So he invites Danny along, thinking she won't say yes. And she says yes, because why wouldn't she want to be with a boyfriend and goes with them? And when they get to... uh, the commune it's very trippy very bright very scandinavian and you know things just start getting weirder and weirder like they do in the wicker man and you wonder has danny been brought there for purposes has she gone of her own free will and you know things just escalate to an amazing conclusion that some could describe as quite satisfying me I described it as quite satisfying even if other people don't um Midsummer is Ariaster doing what he does best just 
amazing visuals, um, fantastic foreshadowing, in-depth characters, and you know, taking on the folk horror genre. He just does it so brilliantly, just like he did with grief in Hereditary. Um, I'm going to open it up for those people to want to discuss this to stop me running away with it, if you want to do that, because I will run. I literally ain't got nothing to say about this film. No, joking. <laughs> um, I, th- <laughs> um, I, I like this film again. It tackles grief, and I do think he does do that very well, and I do think his eye for casting people if he does it, is amazing. Um, he really does get strong performances. Like you said about foreshadowing from the opening scene, that's the story of the film. On first watch, means nothing. On second watch, you're like, oh, yes. It even happens at the commune as well, where it tells of Christian's demise and shows the story that Christian's going to go through. It's not even like the most... I don't want to say most obvious stuff, but because you could look at that and say that's obvious, but you know, to look, it's not even the most obvious stuff that he does. It's the subtleties, like, for example, um, above Danny's bed, you've got a picture of a girl standing with a bear, which you can buy at IKEA, by the way. It's actually an IKEA picture. So go buy it if you want to. My favorite one, well, my two favorite ones are when um, Danny is speaking to Pele for the, not the first time, but she's speaking to him about, the grief she's going through and he apologizes. If you look at the way the plant is situated above Pelly's head, it looks like a crown of leaves, just like he has in the end of the film. And as she passes to go to the toilet on Mark's bookshelf, you've got like a scarecrow jester thing that's on the bookshelf, which is what he becomes in the end. It's just these little tiny things just pumped in that just, there's so much attention to detail. So I think that's the actual scarecrow from Wizard of Oz. Now, something oh. that's probably been said a million times, but for me, it felt like no. I feel like this is a really bizarre Wizard of Oz version. So we've got the whole, obviously, Dana being the central character who, when she gets to Sweden, so like we've got this whole. So when I watched it, like obviously the start is all very quite. It's all indoors and dark. Mm-hmm. And then we get to Sweden and it's all right. So it's like it's like Dorothy Green was and like yeah. some technicolor. And then we've got that the when they actually arrive in Sweden. So not when they're on the plane, but when they arrive, we do an upside down scene, which is like a whirlwind. Mm-hmm. Like we're lost in a whirlwind. And then like going through the open kind of like circle into Emerald City or the commune. And then like the guys seem to be like the scarecrow and stuff like that and also when they act before they actually get to the commune and you've got them going through the trees you'll notice that the ground starts becoming with yellow flowers like the yellow brick road so the more oh. they go onto it yellow brick road going down i i thought with the with the upside down road and with all the shots in the mirror at the start of the film it's very much kind of like normal but just slightly off you can, like a mirror, everyone know you look in the mirror, you go, okay, well, it's me, but there's always something looking slightly off about a mirror image. And in the same way with the road, you look at it, you go, well, that's clearly a road. They're clearly driving down it. But when it's upside down, everything's just slightly off kilter. 
I, I didn't look it up and I meant to, but a lot of the scenes involving Christian take place where Christian is speaking from a mirror perspective. So it's being filmed where he is in the mirror. Um, so for example, at the beginning, they've got a massive mirror behind him when he gets up to talk to Danny, when they're in the living room, he's in the mirror when he's telling him Danny wants to come. Um, there is another one as well. Oh, when Danny's talking to him about him saying he's going and not telling her, um, I hate Christian. I fucking hate Christian. Don't even get me started on him. But, I mean, you will get me started on him. I'm going to go a lot into why I hate Christian. But um, I didn't look it up, but he does always appear to be in the mirror. But with the upside down driving scene, I took that as Danny finding her feet. And it all being, she has a lot of scenes where the sounds around her are muffled and she's picking out certain trigger words that catch her and pull her back to reality. And I took that whole scene to be, it's her kind of, I mean, yeah, the tornado, fantastic theory. That's brilliant, Mercer. I, I just took it to be like, it's her finding a feet and her centering herself, sinking, if you will, like she does throughout the film with the breasts. Mm. Whereas, Whereas I, 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 I like throughout the film, especially once she gets to Sweden, there's a whole, there's the whole aspect of, I want to go home. I want to be with my family. And then yeah. she um, and she is with her family, and it's That's almost like she woke up. Exactly, and never, never more evident than the fact that, like I said, if you notice when before she gets to Sweden, the thing she's picking out is if somebody says family to her, even to the point where she's done the mushrooms, where she's drank the mushrooms when she gets there, and uh, Mark says, "Are oh, you guys like my family?" and it jolts her up, and she's like, "Shit, no." this is a bad one I'm, I'm panicking I'm getting anxiety and she goes off and does whatever she has to do which when she sees her sister behind by the way so split second but so effective but when she gets to the commune and she walks through and Pele goes this is my family she doesn't react she doesn't have anxiety she doesn't panic she's just calm and it's it all makes sense to her so right from the beginning they've got her I don't want to say they've got her like the grooming a sort of thing but they are completely i think some of your hate towards christian is the way he acts when he's at the commune but he's also been groomed mm. and made to act in a certain way and throughout the entire film i don't think as soon as they hit sweden it's like they're on drugs and they never ever if they're like in a perpetual state of being high mm-hmm. um is obviously like you know, with cons like as soon as as soon as like she first sees the grass growing through her hands, all we ever see is all the ground and the earth and the background is constantly moving, mm-hmm. like we're constantly tripping out. It's breathing so, with her. It's it's breathing in with her. It's sinking with her, and that's like the whole message of the commune is that they are all in sync with each other, and that's why they do the sort of thing. So you know, it's it's not it's not just a an ASMR, it's them linking with each other. That breathing thing's very interesting, though, because obviously um, Maya does it before she walks out into the crowd, it's, it, which feels like a, you've got to get ready to do this kind of breath. Mm-hmm. But then um, the people giving the speech, the old people do it, and you're like, all right, so it must be something. Else. But then when Danny blows out the candle on her cake, she does the exact same breath i noted that down this time that was one of the things i didn't notice that i'd noted down this time i think the reason being is that she is integrating with them as soon as she gets there but there are two meanings to the it's like i said sink you up to as i called it 
guitar hero calibrating you with the rest of the group like you know when you link it with your tv it's also meant as an ex exclamation point so it's got two meanings to it so maybe when the elders are doing it like ha, like sort of thing do you know what i mean speaking of elders <laughs> um not to move on to scenes too quick but the rock the rock drop scene is something else completely like the first time I saw it I was winded watching that scene and you notice as well that Danny knows what's going to happen before it even happens she's the only one out of the lot of them that's getting this dread feeling and it's creeping in on you because she can see she's uncomfortable and before they drop she grabs Christian's arm and then they drop then they go but then she's the only calm one so the rest of them are running around going, well, not, not to the same extent that maybe Connie and Simon are, but she's the one who's just as calm as everyone else who knows what's going to happen. She's taking it in. That scene, um, my favourite thing about it is um, Danny's breathing, which we hear like in the soundtrack throughout just her like breath and it, it creates like within you like a sense of like panic and like like that kind of breathy stuff uh, mm. which is and like you said she she grabs hold of christian before the person even gets towards the edge she jumps up to the cliff and mm. we don't even see him and then they step forward are you like oh she knows she's she's got this this girl mm -hmm. she's been here before I thought first of all, she has, I was wrong. She, she has she has been there before in a way of speaking, because when they hit when they hit the ground, and the rest of the commune start moaning and crying, sounds exactly the same way as Chris when Danny phones Christian at the start of the film after her parents and her sister have died. That exact hysteria is what the same sound you get coming through there. So yeah, it, she has been there because she's making those exact same sounds. It's again all part of that syncing up with that commune. And can we just say how good it looks? The the way that the like when the old woman hits face first on the rock and then comes off, like them like effects are vile. Um, but it's the old man that gets me mm. that that just chill kind of he's not dead. And they just woke up and whack him in the face, and they do a close up of it hitting hammer to the head again. Where like, what is wrong with us? Um, it must be a cult thing. But that whole kind of that moment is great. And what I love is like you said, when they mute the sound, and mm -hmm. you get it shows the crowd, and you've got Connie and Simon pop off freaking out, and everyone else just like staring, and you're just like, this is so bizarre. The impact of that scene had a couple of people walk out during the screening we went to yeah. the first, start, first time. They, they they must have been like, oh, this is kind of trippy. And they was like, splat. And they was like, no, up, out, done. Yeah, so another stylistic Ariaster moment is involving a head in a floor perspective. So like it does in Hereditary where... Um, a head is taken off by the post and you see it lying on the floor. With this, you see like his head just lying on the floor and like the dust around it sort of thing. It seems to be a move for him, as Chris pointed out as well, does burning. Just setting things on fire just seems to be a move for him completely. Yeah. 
and I, I, I do love the way the whole thing looks like the commune in particular again you've got your symbols you've got your so you've got your circular symbols and you've got your triangular symbols which are all like embedded in folklore sort of thing but there's something about the look of say midsummer compared to wickerman it feels a lot more inviting it feels calmer i get a little bit lost now like film wise with the sense of tone and the way christian and um josh kind of react to things so like the whole focus kind of shifts to their thesis and i'm just like like you've just watched two people kill themselves well one kill themselves and one be brutally like killed and your priorities are just solely about your your college thesis and it kind of throws me a little bit the thing is josh has been investigating this since the start this has been his thing this is the whole sole reason he was going over there because he wanted to experience it in person so he's got a deep understanding of what their rituals are and what they do christians just come into it having absolutely no idea what he's going to do just fucking loaning it all the way and then decides he's going to muscle in on his thesis and you can just tell how simplistic he is with the way he talks about it as well so when danny's showing concern that they've just watched two people who've just been Kill, they've killed themselves and had the head butchered in he's like well you know uh, it's better than putting them in a nursing home I guess no that's fucking flat out simplistic Christian that is not as deep as it goes and you're just looking at it in that way because you don't understand it and yet you're going to go and take this thing that your friends is a dick I hate the guy with this as well you need those with them doing their thesis and that part of the story you need that outsider's point of view I mean otherwise by this point all we would be doing is just watching the village going around on a day-by-day basis if we don't have anyone who doesn't fear in and is questioning and learning about why these things happen we're just watching a documentary true i just so i'm just you know um what so previously what Faye said about the ritual which was like you know she didn't believe the actions of like the characters like going through the woods it, it made no sense I, I guess it's the same kind of feeling. I just don't understand from a personal point of view. Like, I, there's no way I'd be able to stay in that scenario or that environment after witnessing what I'd just witnessed. I'd have to go. I'd be, I would be Connie and Simon. I think dead. the thing, the thing <laughs> poor Connie, you can hear her screaming, it's horrible. But I think that the thing that maybe could have more of an explanation in this scenario as well is that they are keeping them. Well, or appear to be keeping them drugged throughout mm. the film. So something in there that makes you calmer, something in there that messes with your perception of what's right and what's not. Yeah, I mean, I mean, let's not get away, away from this. It's easy to get this nice village and they're all calm and pleasant. Let's not be swayed from the fact that they're the absolute villains of the piece. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. I'm not denying that at all. That is exactly correct, yeah. They should not be doing what they're doing. You shouldn't be murdering people. You shouldn't be telling people that's a cult. That's literally a cult. That's that's your law degree done. There you go. You should not murder people. Day two, graduation. Yeah. Well, it's just easy to get sucked in because they're so they're so calm and they look after them. They it's like, oh yeah, feed this, have this. Yeah, come and do this with us. Not only that, but they they're able to rationalise what they do. So Siv, like, has that conversation afterwards to explain why they've killed him. To me, it wouldn't work. Well, you know, I, I, they are able to rationalise it. 
I just need to say one thing as well. I know we agreed that you shouldn't kill anybody. No. Um, Apart that's from somebody. Christian. Mark um, needs killing. He's fucking frustrating. And just someone explains me to, this to me. We've been in this village for a day already. We've, you know, drank, we've eaten, we've done things. So why, why, or oh why do you go, I need a piss, so I'm going to go and stand and piss on a fallen tree in front of everybody when there must be toilets that he is aware of. What a fucking dick. When you talk about a dick, that is the biggest dick. I'm glad he had his face cut off because he deserved it. Yes, skin that bastard fool. Mark is the fool. That's the point. Mark is the fool. He is literally being brought there because of that, because they need him in the ritual at the end. That's why. Can I just say, sorry, Chris, I know you want to say something, but I've really got to say this really quick. And you said about moving from the scenario and you know that these are the villains of the piece. This film is not about anybody else for me bar Danny. To me, this is Danny's journey. This is Danny's outcome. This is Danny getting over her grief. This is Danny getting over her anxiety. That's what this film is for me. Danny is also a villain in this film. I don't believe she is. She is. I don't believe she is. Danny reacts to um, her feelings of jealousy with murder. She opts to have Christian killed. It's not just a fear of it's not just because of jealousy. It's because of the entire relationship that's led up to this point. It's because of everything that Christian has done. And she is under an influence. Let's not forget that. She's been taken in. She's been groomed to be in this commune. So it's not only her actions, it's the ha- it's the actions of everyone else that she's got control in her, that she's synced with. She has that final decision over which one of them dies out of the two of them. But is she doing it for the greater good of the commune, though, now that she's synced with the people, now that she knows what their ways are? Well, no, because we know that they're willing to give their lives already, because we already know the two in the shed at the end, not wanting yep. to jump to the end, because there's loads more to talk about, and the two off the... off the... Off the uh, I don't want to call it clear, not clear, off the top of those rock so we know that they're willing to sacrifice their life so it's not the greater good by giving the blood of someone from outside the commune she's the may queen that is literally her role when you get put in that role you have to make that decision she's making the decision with the rest of the commune behind her and with not sorry not behind her at the side of her because that's what they do they are all one so you you can't say that they're not having an influence on it she's still up to Christian, not because of his because of his choices, which weren't really his choices. He was also drugged and forced into doing things within that commune, which he didn't want to do. Which is evident when after he does the whole impregnation scene with Maya, and he runs mm-hmm. out, and he's freaking out because that's not what he wanted. That's just what he was how he was groomed, and you can't say in that, that scenario. Commun- yes, but prior to them going to Sweden, no. Prior to them going to Sweden, he treated her like crap. How did he treat her like crap? He answered all the phone calls. The only thing he did was say, you can't let your sister keep doing this to you. Well, she's having anxiety while she's on on pills for anxiety. She's clearly got something wrong. He's not sympathising with her. Maybe maybe what he's trying to do is get her out of her funk by saying... You need to change your mindset. You can't let your sister's actions control your the way you feel. 
I you can look don't at believe that. Two angles. I don't think he's as bad as you make out. I think he's surrounded by a bunch of prick friends. And he feels that pressure. He's got one prick friend, and that's Mark. Josh wasn't, Josh wasn't telling him to break up with her. Pele wasn't telling him to break up with her. It was Mark. Hang on. Pele took him to a village to get killed. I think that's a bit of a prick friend, don't you? No. Just, just throwing it out there. No. It's not exactly what you, what you do to your best friend, is it? I think I'm just going to fuck you. Come to I, my I, house. After, after this section, maybe. You don't know. Yeah. Anyway, I um I I think Danny is also I think she's she's gone through a lot. She's grieving, but I think she is also got an aspect of villain within the within her decisions that she makes. On on a serious note, I I wanna say maybe, but at the same time, I, I don't think I fully agree with that. I do think that a lot of it is the influence of them. She's undergone a full transformation from what they've done, from how they've moulded her. Just like in fucking Kill List, Jay were getting moulded. Just like they were influencing Howie in Wicker Man. It's what they do. So I don't, I don't feel that it can all be put on her and calling her a villain of the piece because if she's under an influence, how is that her fault? Well, you're willing to say that it's a satisfied ending that Christian, and let's be honest, do you think it's satisfying because Christian dies? I think it's satisfying because she overcomes a grief because she finds a family and she finds somewhere she belongs. You said it right at the beginning. She was home. Yeah. She was with yeah. family. That's why I find it satisfying because she, she belongs. She feels held. That's why it's satisfying. Not because she kills Christian. I don't like Christian. For me, Christian can burn. I don't give a shit. But the, one... but the, feeling, for, the feeling for me is that she now belongs somewhere and she doesn't There's... have to hurt anymore. There's one simple question. If she'd have chosen if she'd have chosen one of the commune to die, would you have walked out of that film going, I'm happy with that ending? I don't know, because I don't know how it would have been. You could say that about any film. If you change the end of any film, how would you feel? If she if she'd have got if she'd have been my queen and said, No, the commune member dies and they just let Christian just walk out and carry on with his life, would you have been happy with that? As if an she's ending? happy, if she's happy, yes. If she's over a grief, yes, because that's what it is. It's not just because she killed him. It's not as simple as that. This was definitely a film that needed a lot more time to discuss because there's some tempers flaring right now and there's some serious fucking emotions and we haven't even got to end it. And we're already wanting to kill each other. I'm not wanting to kill anyone. I, I honestly just, I feel very passionately about this film. Maybe some of it's relatable to me and that's why I get so defensive about it. Genuinely, it's because she's happy at the end. That's why. Why am I even justifying it? I don't need to justify it. That's how I'm feeling about it. Is she happy or has she lost her mind? That's the question I want to ask. Because at the very end, she's like, she breaks down and then she just gets this like really crazy smile on her face. I'm thinking that comes from the rest of them because they're happy that the ritual's been done and that they can move forward for another however many years of appeasing, I'm going to say the earth gods, <laughs> whatever they're doing. But I think because now she is part of them, when they're happy, she's happy. That's why when it starts burning, she starts coughing up the smoke, which could also be seen as symbolism for her finally getting the idea of what assisted it. Oh my God, I've not even said the most terrifying bit of the film for me. And it, it actually fucking kept me up one night. It freaked me out so much. 
when she gets um, crowned as May Queen and they're taking her along on that board and they're walking along with her in the woods in the background, you can see the sister with the tube coming out of her mouth. And someone posted it on Twitter when it first happened and said, oh, I never noticed this before. So I was looking at this picture. I'm like, what the hell's going on? It's just trees. I don't understand it. And then I fucking saw it and I shot myself. Terrifies me. I don't, I hate looking at that. It's a horrible thing to look at. But yeah, um, so back to that, like I say, I think the end is just her being happy along with the rest of them, that it's over and it was successful. Anything else to say? No, I think it's, um, I, I, I do think it's a good film. I just think, I think your love for it is a lot more than my love for it. Um, but I've only watched it twice. And I did, I'll be honest, I got a lot more out of it on a second viewing. Mm. So that was good. Christopher? I I loved it first time I watched it. I preferred it over Hereditary. But then I'll, I'm torn now because I've I rewatched Hereditary a couple of times since. And I absolutely love that film as well. But Midsummer Spectacular. I love it. I, I disagree slightly with how much of a dick Christian is. But then. Again, shouldn't all great films allow for debate? Yeah, and I'm not even, and I'm not even. I'm just going to drop it in here just as a quick bomb before before leave. I'm not even mentioning how when she's got all the Mayflowers on her, she's dressed as a giant leech, and they rec- they talk about leeches and ticks, and she's sucking the lifeblood out of that group of friends. Yeah, but let's not forget that Christian got called a leech as well. Yeah, if we're being objective and looking at both sides, they also called Christian a leech. So. No, he, he said he said lychee. He was calling him a fruit. Oh, my <laughs> <I> mistake. <laughs> yeah. So to sum up, um, I mean, I, do you know what? There's no summing up. I I've screamed and shouted everything I've had about this film. Well, not everything. That would have took a lot longer. I've screamed and shouted as much as this time has allowed me. Um, Midsummer is incredible. It, it was the only American pick, by the way, in a lot of them. Everybody else's were a British pick. This were an American one. I don't know if that says something about us British loving folk horror. I don't know. American pick, interestingly, but British and Irish cast. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, except the Swedes. But... And what, sorry? Except for the Swedish people. But yeah, yeah. British and Irish. Yeah. So um, y- you should vote Midsummer. It's beautifully shot. It's got incredible acting. The story is amazing. The details amazing. I I can't big this film up enough. If you want to talk with me more about it, please feel free to get on Twitter and you know shout opinions. I'm going to get mad at if you want to do that. That's absolutely fine. But I think you should pick Midsummer as your favourite folk horror. Just before we go, I just want to say trend alert this week. Mm-hmm. Um, stole that from a drag race thing, but um, Sweden. Sweden is is evident in all of our films, as in ah. Sweden, rituals set in Sweden, although none of them actually filmed in Sweden. Romania. Uh, Romania for uh, ritual and Hungary for Midsommar, which are next door to each other. Yeah. So two set in Sweden, and then Ingrid Pitt, uh, not Ingrid Pitt, Britt Eklund from Sweden, mm. from The Wicked Man, and Mayanna Burin from Sweden. So Sweden. Dangerous. So that's our four films for this week's folk horror episode. 
plenty of spirited debate and four amazing choices. I hope everyone agrees. Thank you for listening. I know, I imagine this one's going to have been a lengthy one for uh, everyone listening. I think most people have started this on Tuesday and finished by mid-Friday afternoon <laughs> by the time this episode's ended. So we will put out the poll as normal for you to vote for your favourite folk horror from our choices. Please let us know how you voted and why you made your choice the way you did. You can follow us at SpitGrays on Twitter and Instagram. We are I Spit on Your Grays on Facebook. If you want to email us for any reason, you can contact us at electricpossums at gmail.com. But that is all from our folk horror episode. Just says to say goodbye to everyone. So, Faye, say goodbye. Bye. But, uh, oh, goodbye. And for me, goodbye. <laughs>